Again, warm welcome. Our service of Holy Communion uh, begins on page 323 of our prayer books. Your opening acclamation is also found at the top of your bulletin, and your responses in the bold. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessed be God's Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee, thee and worthily magnify thy holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ saith, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Please remain standing as we sing our Gloria. Lord be with you. As we remain standing, let us pray. The Lord has, who has taught us that all our doings without charity are worth nothing, 
Send thy Holy Ghost and pour into our hearts the most excellent gift of charity, the very bond of peace and of all virtues, without which whosoever liveth is counted dead before thee. Grant this for thine only Son, Jesus Christ's sake, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the same Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. The first lesson is from Genesis chapter 45. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed they were at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve, for you are a, rem you are a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt." Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks and your herds and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. The word of the Lord.
second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. As for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The word of the Lord. Please stand now as we sing our sequence hymn, Now the Green Blade Riseth, hymn 204.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Jesus said, I say to you, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also from anyone who takes away your coat. Do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Gospel of the Lord. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes? Sorry. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We come this morning to the Sermon on the Plain, which is like the Sermon on the Mount, but it's on a plain. And it's in Luke rather than in Matthew. It is Jesus, uh, a catalog of his teachings, many of which are not very um, user-friendly. This one that we are focused on today being one of the least user-friendly parts of the entire Bible. What am I talking about? I'm talking about love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Now, perhaps uh, you think enemies. I don't really think about my life in terms of enemies. There are people I don't like or people I've gotten into, you know, tiffs with. But enemies, it's, it's interesting. I, I conducted a bit of a straw poll this week, and I asked people who I'd run across. I said, who, who is your enemy? And uh, almost everyone responded that they don't have any enemies. And uh, I heard this first from a woman who had just finished denigrating a former friend and fellow mother in the worst possible terms imaginable. And then uh, another person, another man, uh, assured me he had no enemies. Um, He's been estranged from his father for 15 years. And then I heard uh, it from someone who during the last election posted the most vicious memes I have ever seen. Um, And so I thought to myself, is everyone just that out of touch with themselves, or do I live in that magnanimous of a town, uh, or are we all just lying? Um, we resist the word enemy. We resist the word enemy. It sounds antiquated. It sounds like, you know, knights and dragons and things like that. Um, and yet, we also live in what some consider to be the most divided and hostile society that we've really the human race has produced in a long time. And so there is a lot of us versus them. There are a lot of us thinking those people, if they would get out of the way, then life and love would proceed. 
Well, when Jesus defines enemy, or when he talks about enemies, he's, he's rather inclusive. He, uh, an enemy includes anyone who's ever attacked you. Have you ever been attacked? Not physically. Have you ever been attacked, your character? Um, anyone who's ever taken something from you? Anyone who's cursed you? Have you ever had words with someone? Like really had it out? Well, then you've been cursed by them. Anyone who has abused you, God forbid. An enemy is someone with whom we have had or have an adversarial or antagonistic relationship. Now, if you've ever been sued or sued someone, you understand this. If you've ever had a falling out with a sibling or with a former friend, then you know what this is like. And yet it, is, it, it ranges from serious to non-serious. I mean, there, we have uh, rivals for, for a love interest, perhaps. Uh, we have people who have, who have spread a rumor about us when we were at an impressionable age. Every time I speak to academics, I find if you dig a little bit deeply, you hear that there's always one person, either in their own department or in the same department in another university, who's constantly trying to get the same grant money or getting the same they want, they're getting the invitations that you want. They're getting the posts, the prestige, the credit. There's a slightly like a nemesis type of uh, understanding of the world. Just dig a little deeply. But these are sort of external folks. What about your loved ones? Have you ever become your enemies? I spoke with a man this week who said uh, about once a year, he and his wife really raised their voices at each other. I mean, I said once a year? But... <laughs> For, but they get it all at 45 minutes of real vitriol. And in that moment, that person, that person that you, who you theoretically love and to whom you've made vows becomes your enemy. They are the obstacle to your happiness. They have misunderstood you. They are on the other side of the track. Now, it could just be someone who cuts you off in traffic. But we resist thinking of the world in terms of enemies sometimes, I think, because we don't want to to think that we might be someone else's enemy. Or we have acted antagonistically toward another person. But I don't think you can really go through life without making a few enemies. I wish it weren't true. And I wish that Jesus' injunction here were a little watered down. It, it's terrible. <laughs> he says, do not uh, uh, take revenge, ever. Do not retaliate against those who attack you. Uh, do not strike or take, but turn and give. When faced with malice or injustice, do not escalate. Do not escalate. Now, there might be any number of reasons why if someone has hurt you, you want to hurt them back. Or if someone has taken something from you, it's just that you uh, receive it in return. But you cannot argue for that ethic by, according to the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is advocating for non-complementary behavior. What he says is, from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. I hate this idea. <laughs> hate it. He is saying, be a doormat. Be an enabler. Don't you dare assert yourself. Surely that's not what he's saying, right? 
There's got to be some conditions on this. It's just, well, if the person uh, says they're sorry, well, then I'm, uh, I, can, I can then love them. Or if, if, if it's within the bounds of reasonable behavior, well, then I can possibly uh, conceive of loving my enemy, or at least being somewhat indifferent, ignoring my enemy. What did P.J. O'Rourke, who died this week, do you hear, know, remember what he said? Um, Jesus told us to love our enemies. He didn't say we weren't allowed to have them. <laughs> I was reminded of that this week. I was reading a, an advice column in Wired Magazine. Wired Magazine is a, is a Silicon Valley publication about technology. And they have an advice column. And someone had written in to say that I'm feeling pressure to put up one of those ring surveillance systems. Seems smart, but friends are telling me it's a bad look. What is a ring surveillance system? Well, if you, next time you walk around your neighborhood or simply go up to your neighbor's uh, door, uh, look to see if they have a little camera uh, right next to the doorbell that is watching you. Um, these are enormously popular, and they're only getting more popular. And they're the source of, an, of a lot of sort of funny uh, um, clips that we get sent, people who don't realize they're being filmed. The reason why ring surveillance, the reason why people are installing cameras, and yes, it's not the most neighborly gesture I can imagine, um, is because we've, simply, we've been living in two years where we've ordered enormous amount of things to our homes. We've all become, you know, dependent on Amazon or whatever it is. And as this dependency has grown, so too has a phenomenon called the porch pirate. The porch pirate are people who swipe your packages. They're almost gambling on, you know, hopefully that's not socks. That's a new, you know, phone. Um, you know, I got my uh, new USB cables swiped recently. And I thought, you know, you're welcome to them. They never seem to work for longer than about <laughs> two weeks. Um, but uh, theft of this kind has risen exponentially in America in the last few years. I was reading an article that said that the, the car theft in New York City is up 92% from 2019. Um, it's not just cars, it's packages. So people are installing these systems. Anyway, the, um, the advice giver, Megan O'Geeblin, she's an essayist, she decides to sort of go to town on this poor, unsuspecting person. She first decides to unpack what it, what it means to be a neighbor. She said, one might assume, based on ring surveillance and next door and Facebook community groups, that being a good neighbor today is being like a kind of detective, a citizen willing to sniff out interlopers, collect evidence, and work in conjunction with law enforcement to keep the neighborhood safe. But she then does something really terrible. She quotes Soren Kierkegaard's interpretation of this passage. This passage, from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. She says, Christ's commandment offers a far more radical proposition, one that requires us to surrender our commitment to justice, fairness, and private property. If someone steals your coat, give them your shirt as well, or to update the analogy, if a porch pirate swipes your Amazon package, throw in your FedEx parcel to boot. Now, why would Jesus say something so absurd? And so, um, I mean, this is conflict resolution, according to Jesus Christ, is not a course I would ever want to take. Um, because you lose. You get stomped on. Uh, I think, perhaps, Christ had read the Butter Battle book by Dr. Seuss. Do you know this book? I think it's still in circulation. I'm not sure. Um, 
it's about new, it's an analogy for nuclear war, um, and it's, it's about these two sides that start to um, want to always be matching and slightly staying up with the other person's weaponry and sort of to, to, to hurt them as, as much as they've been hurt. And it's, it's, it's an idea of reciprocity and recrimination in which everyone loses everything in the end. But we know this to be true. As, uh, recrimination, tit for tat, Justice ways of thinking never lead to the lessening of an antagonism. They might lead to the destruction of another person, but they do not lead to the lessening of adversarial relationships. On a, on a smaller scale, you might say that parents never win back their children through criticism. It never happens. It's never happened, it never will happen. If you think that we just went to a class downstairs where Ethan talked about nagging is, a, is a, an attempt to, to get another person to act in a certain way that never produces the uh, intended result uh, because it's perceived as criticism. Now, this is the same reason litigation will never make two people fall in love with each other again. It's, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen on a small scale. It doesn't happen on a large scale. Um, Robert Hayden, the American poet, uh, he was quoted this week or to last week by S Stephen Colbert, who said that we must not be frightened or cajoled into accepting evil as our deliverance from evil. You cannot solve a problem with the same mind you use to create it, is the way Einstein put it. Now, perhaps Christ, in this absurd injunction to love our enemies, to pray for those who abuse us, is advocating for love. Love that knows no bounds. Love that extends the definition of enemy beyond the limits of ethnic affinity or natural sympathy, beyond the limits of reason. A love that extends even to your worst nightmare. I'll give you an example, then I'm finished. The television show Ted Lasso. Uh, we've just recently gotten a lesson in this from that wonderful show. The second season of it aired, and you don't really need to know that much about it to, to know what we're talking about. The show is about an American football coach who's been hired to coach an English soccer team and doesn't really know what he's doing or appears not to know what he's doing. Anyway, forget about Ted. There's a character in the first season named Roy Kent. He is a gruff individual, to put it lightly. He is a jerk. He is of all hard edges. He is off-putting. He is to the point of misanthropy. Um, and yet you sense there's something sort of underneath that may be a softer shell. In the first season, he's at the end of his career. He is grappling with his decline, which is a very difficult thing for an athlete. And um, he, is, uh, he eventually ends up uh, retiring and becoming a coach in the second season. He's hired back by Ted to coach these young men, and Roy agrees on the condition that he coach everyone but one player. That one player is a young upstart, an arrogant but very talented player named Jamie Tart. Jamie Tart, in the previous season, had ridiculed and shamed Roy before the whole team. He had, he had, he had, he had also <laughs> dated Roy's current girlfriend. They are nemeses. They are uh, enemies. Anyway, they have the biggest game of their season at Wembley Stadium, the great, you know, sort of ground zero of English athletics. 
And before the game, Jamie's semi-estranged father requests tickets. Jamie gives him tickets, and he brings his very sort of kind of a, a hooligan-type friends to watch the game. Now, it's clear that Jamie and his father do not have a great relationship. And this is evidenced by the fact that as he plays, he chokes. He's got his father's criticism and his father's voice in his mind. And he can't get it out, and he chokes, and they lose the game. Roy is upset. Jamie's upset. It's humiliating. They retreat to the locker room, the sort of inner sanctum of masculinity, right? And uh, there's a knock at the door. They're all sad. There's a knock at the door, and it's Jamie's father. And he comes in, in front of the entire team, and he starts sort of poking at his son. He said, what were you doing out there? You really didn't, did you not sleep well enough? Do you, don't you know who you are? You could do that in your sleep. And then he's sort of joking, and you could tell that Jamie is extremely uncomfortable. But then his father says, well, hey, I want to go out on the pitch with my, with my friends and take some pictures. Can you, you can hook us up, right? And Jamie says, I don't think that's a good idea. His father says, what? He says, I don't think that's a good idea. He says, you're nothing, son. Today was a farce. You, you, you are a joke, a laughingstock. Never forget where you came from. And he gets up in Jamie's face until finally Jamie's had enough and he clocks his father right in the face. His father falls down, he starts cursing, and he's taken away and he's thrown out. And Jamie is sitting there completely humiliated in front of his entire teammates, in front of the coaches. Everyone sees where his arrogance and distasteful manner have come from. And no one can say a word. And then we watch as Roy Kent, who has not spoken to Jamie this season, wordlessly walks to him in front of everyone and puts his arms around Jamie. And Jamie is stiff at first, and then he collapses and starts sobbing. And then the song Beware of Darkness by George Harrison starts playing. And you realize that darkness has been spread, has been, has, some light has gotten into a very dark situation. We realize that Jamie's betrayal by his father, Jamie's... Uh, uh, his, the cycle in which they are stuck in of recrimination and retaliation and humiliation has ceased for one moment. It is not the end of the story, not as long as Roy Kent is there to love his enemy. I wept watching this scene because that's what love for one's enemy does. It's a lot like grace. It interrupts the consequences of our actions, which is very good news indeed for those of us who have made some waves and created some enemies in our lives. So what do we do then with this commandment to love our enemy? Because it is not just hard. If the purpose of this sermon is to go out there and be like Roy Kent, good luck. It'd be a much more pleasant world if more of us were like that, believe it or not. No, the law says to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. But the gospel says that this is how Jesus, how God himself loves you. In your vulnerability, in your shame, in your sad attempt at retaliation, in the cycle of 
uh, of tit-for-tat uh, circular exchange that seems to drive so much of our most shameful behavior. God sees you and beelines for you, not with judgment. Jesus did not come to set up a ring moral surveillance system. He came as Roy Kent to hug the Jamie Tarts of the world, which is to say, to embrace you. Amen. Please stand now as we affirm our faith. Words of the Nicene Creed. Page 326 of our prayer books. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Let us pray for the whole state of Christchurch and the world. <clears throat> Almighty and ever-living God, who in thy holy word has taught us to make prayers and supplications and to give thanks for all men, receive these our prayers which we offer unto thy divine majesty beseeching thee to inspire continually the universal church with the spirit of truth, unity, and concord, and grant that all those who do confess thy holy name may agree in the truth of thy holy word and live in unity and godly love. Give grace, O heavenly Father, to all bishops and other ministers, that they may both by their life and doctrine set forth thy true and lively word and rightly and duly administer thy holy sacraments. And to all thy people give thy heavenly grace. And especially to this congregation here present, that with meek heart and due reverence, they may hear and receive thy holy word, truly serving thee in holiness and righteousness all the days of their life. We beseech thee also so to rule the hearts of those who bear the authority of government in this and every land. 
and especially Joe, our president, Glenn, our governor, and Lloyd, the mayor of our city, that they may be led to wise decisions and right actions for the welfare and peace of the world. Open, O Lord, the eyes of all people to behold thy gracious hand in all thy works, that rejoicing in thy whole creation, they may honor thee with their substance and be faithful stewards of thy bounty. And we most humbly beseech thee of thy goodness, O Lord, to comfort and succor all those who in this transitory life are in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity. And we also bless thy holy name for all thy servants departed this life in thy faith and fear. Beseeching thee to grant them continual growth in thy love and service and to grant us grace so to follow the good example of all thy saints that with them we may be partakers of thy heavenly kingdom. Grant these our prayers, O Father, for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate. Let us humbly confess our sins unto Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against thee in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved thee with our heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of thy Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in thy will and walk in thy ways to the glory of thy name. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of his great mercy hath promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with hearty uh, repentance and true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Please stand. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Please exchange the peace of Christ with one another. Get very warm. Welcome to Christ Church. Please be seated. Uh, so glad you're here. If you're visiting Christ Church, um, that's great news for us. I invite you to fill out one of the visitor cards and put it into the usher's plate as it goes by, and we'll welcome you this very week uh, to Christ Church and see how we can make sure that you feel um, like this is your home and the place that you want to be. Uh, I invite you to look at the announcements in the bulletin. Uh, we are continuing with communion in just one kind. I hope, I hope that will end in a few weeks, as hopefully the masks will too, as uh, Omicron goes down. Uh, but uh, for right now, you come receive the wafer and cross your hands across your chest to receive the wine. A note to the um, put on your calendar that next week, next Tuesday is Shrove Tuesday. We'll have our pancake supper, uh, really fun and child-friendly followed by our Ash Wednesday services next Wednesday at noon and 7. And then we're going to have a pair of suppers through Lent. Um, you can see the information there where we'll have a supper and then come up here for Compline, um in, uh in the church to conclude 
Uh, again, welcome to all. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. Service continues on page 333 of our prayer books. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is very meet, right, and our bounden duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty everlasting God, because in the mystery of the word made flesh, thou hast caused a new light 
to shine in our hearts to give the knowledge of thy glory in the face of thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, with angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying, All glory be to thee, almighty God, our heavenly Father. For that thou of thy tender mercy didst give thine only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made thereby as one oblation of himself, once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world, and did institute, and in his holy gospel, command us to continue a perpetual memory of that his precious death and sacrifice until his coming again. From the night which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of this, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Do this as oft as you shall drink it in remembrance of me. Wherefore, Lord and Heavenly Father, according to the institution of thy dearly beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we, thy humble servants, do celebrate and make here before thy divine majesty with these thy holy gifts, which we now offer unto thee, the memorial thy Son hath commanded us to make, having in remembrance his blessed passion and precious death, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, rendering unto thee most hearty thanks for the innumerable benefits procured unto us by the same. And we most humbly beseech thee, O merciful Father, to hear us, thy almighty goodness vouchsafe to bless and sanctify with thy word and Holy Spirit. These thy gifts and creatures of bread and wine, that we, receiving them according to thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, holy institution, in remembrance of his death and passion, may be partakers of his most blessed body and blood. And we earnestly desire thy fatherly goodness mercifully to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Most humbly beseeching thee to grant that by the merits and death of thy son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and all thy whole church may obtain remission of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice unto thee, humbly beseeching thee that we and all others who shall be partakers of this holy communion may worthily receive the most precious body and blood of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Be filled with thy grace and heavenly benediction, and made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. And although we are unworthy through our manifold sins to offer unto thee any sacrifice, yet we beseech thee to accept this our bounden duty and service not weighing our merits, but pardoning our offenses. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom and with whom in the unity of the Holy Ghost, all honor and glory be unto thee, O Father Almighty, world without end. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ hath taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. But thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. Feed on them in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. 